Hello and welcome to Two Beers, Please. My name is Matthew Smith, and I suppose I'll have to drink both these beers tonight because I'm coming at you solo this episode of the Two Beers, Please podcast. Jan's letting me just go off on all things NBA basketball tonight as the 2020 NBA draft is about to begin. Actually, in a couple hours here, so uh, most of my draft predictions will come true uh, pretty quickly after I make them. Um, But crazy time of the year, illnesses, busy with the holidays, but I think it's safe to say that Yannick isn't here with me because I did beat him in fantasy football this week, again, for the the second time this year. So we don't have, you know, an official reason that Jan's not here, Uh, but uh, I think it's, you know, we can put two and two together with with the fantasy results. But that's what happens when you, you try to battle with the Kittle Rascals, so... You step into the ring with them, and you're going to get beat down. Uh, even though it's just me, still have to, of course, tell you guys to follow the Two Beers Please Facebook page, our Instagram, Two Beers Please underscore podcast, and the Twitter, the number two, BP underscore podcast. Of course, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. Give us a rave review. I trust you all to, to do the right thing. I hope all you're well. Normally, this is where Yannick and I ask one another how we are today. Just, you know, a nice little check-in before we get into all things sports. But without someone asking me how I'm doing, it's a little more, it's a more peculiar situation. Because if I say I'm doing well, and I talk about all, like, you know, the good things, it'll be braggy. But if I say I'm bad, or I, you know, complain, I'll just come off as really whiny. So it's a real, it's a real tough situation without just being like, hey, I'm fantastic. But seriously, I'm doing well, and uh, I do hope... The same for all of you. I'm sipping on, on a little Modelo and Lime tonight. Probably going to have to have two, you know, to really live up to the name of two beers, please. But kept it simple with kind of my, my go-to beer at the moment. But like I said, we're talking NBA. And and the big news from the NBA is, is the NBA draft. The 2020 NBA draft. Weren't sure when it was going to happen. But here it is. <clears throat> the draft night. We know all about the storylines, uh, this being kind of an underwhelming draft, but personally I think this draft class is, is not getting its due process, and I, I've kind of spoken before about how most of the population really, we, we haven't gotten to really see LaMelo Ball or James Weissman play, and, and Anthony Edwards at Georgia really was hardly on national TV after the Maui Invitational. So the top three guys that you're talking about, it's tough to gauge just how good they're going to be because... We've, we've got no measuring stick. Um, and, you know, you can watch tape from Australia, but that's another, you know, if you don't watch the Australian League, it's another it, tough kind of measuring stick for for ball. But I think having that be the case with all the, you know, prospects obviously just kind of diminishes the hype around the uh, the draft when you don't, you know. You, we'll talk about later comparing it even to last year's draft. Zion Williamson... You didn't have to watch basketball to know who Zion Williamson is. That name alone was going to make that draft just one that everybody was going to watch, even though we knew exactly what was going to happen. Like, honestly, this should be the more exciting draft because we don't really know what Minnesota is going to do at number one. Last year, if the Pelicans didn't take Zion, it was going to be the surprise of the sports world. Like, there, there was no chance they weren't. So, really, from a viewer's perspective, this draft is far more appealing because <clears throat> we think it's it's – Clear Edwards, Ball, Weissman in some order at top three, but 
I don't think anyone would be would be that surprised if someone else creeped up in there, and, and we don't know what order that top three might go, um, what trades may happen. So this is, viewer-wise, an actually really exciting draft. Um, and, and I think it just doesn't have those... Drafts normally are just kind of gauged on, on the, the, the big names of them. And so I think a lot of people don't think this draft's going to be that good. There's also the fact that we haven't seen them. There's, you know, the pandemic that's just kind of diminished the hype around lots of stuff. Um, and, and again, you know, this year's draft was probably always going to feel a little underwhelming because we don't have R.J. Barrett, John Morant, Zion Williamson, you know, three top prospects that were as good as we've seen in a long time. So, I, uh, you know, I'm not really a big believer that this class is going to be incredible, uh, especially, the, you know, as far as the top-end talent goes. But I think it's... Personally, I, I think it's a lot deeper of a draft than it's being given credit. Um, top end talent, Ball and Edwards, I think are are the only ones I personally see having star power in the class. But I think there are a lot of pl- players that can become quality players at the next level. Uh, I think teams even see that value. You know, I mean, we're getting talked about how it's underwhelming, but the Timberwolves and the Warriors are, are in trade with talks with, with teams with the top two picks. Yeah, you can say that's because the top two picks aren't, aren't very good, but you can also say that just <clears throat> the value from one to six is very, very even this year. Um, and so while we might not have the star power, it could become a draft where, where you see role players, players that, that become contributing factors on, on teams deep into the second round. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, at least the optimistic view that I see on, on this, this draft. And this draft class, you got players like Jalen Smith and, and Precious, Precious Achua, who are expected to kind of go in, in the teens range, maybe could get, you know, Precious certainly could, I think, sneak into the top 10, but most likely will probably go anywhere from 11 to 20. And I think these guys, you know, they're made perfect for the modern NBA with their, their length, their skill. They, they both can shoot the three. They can defend. They can move well. <clears throat> shot blockers. So if you're getting one of those guys in the teens, I, I think you're getting a, a tremendous amount of value right there. Even Tyrese Halliburton and, and Isaac Okoro at the back end of the top ten, where most expe- people are kind of expecting them. Halliburton has been expect has been talked about in the top five, but if you get him at the end of the top ten, I think <clears throat> I think Halliburton could be the best player in this draft. Uh, and then you got you know Nico Mannion, Cassius Winston, Peyton Pritchard, Devin Dotson, so many very experienced point guards. Nico Mannion, not so much experienced wise, but skilled. Um, just talented point guards with, with the ability to shoot the three. And, and we've seen in the fast-paced NBA of, of today how impactful a, a strong backup point guard can be. A guy like Monte Morris, a guy like Sean Livington, Livingston during the, the run, run of the Warriors. So I just see a, a lot of really <clears throat> good players throughout this draft. I don't think we're going to see any MVPs. I'd be surprised if we have an all-NBA team selection from this you know, draft. Maybe some all-stars. But I think pick one through 60 just represents will, or will represent an extremely good collection of players that are going to all – they're not all, but many of them will end up having strong, impactful careers. Um, maybe the knock on, on this draft would be that you might be as confident in the NBA career or the future NBA career of, of pick 60 to pick one. But um, – I think that also creates just a lot of excitement because <clears throat> we're going to see some guys who we didn't expect to maybe be as, as good as, as they are. Um, but I, I, it's a draft where you see, you see a lot of like possibly Draymond Greens uh, where, where guys just 
didn't really think they'd quite be NBA players uh, or taken kind of later in and, and become very impactful. Draymond Green might be a hard hide bar to set. That might that might not be <laughs> fair to put on these guys. He's he's been he is an all star. So, but I think the point is made of of while the star power isn't there, the depth is, and I think there's I think there's going to be a lot of good career NBA guys here. And you know, that, with all that being said, it should be a fun draft. As I said, it's it's such an unexpected one that we might you know is Minnesota going to trade that top pick? Is are the Warriors going to trade? <clears throat> Even just who are they going to take? Um, so a lot of unexpecteds in this draft, which is fun. And as far as these rookies go, it, it's going to be a very tough, uh, very trying first NBA season. They're going to have about a month of uh, an NBA offseason with their team, with whoever picks them. You know, NBA has announced December 22nd will be the start date for the season, 72-game season. So... You get drafted, and you've got a month to, to prepare for the next game. It may be something that kind of delays the impact for, for some of these younger guys. Not going to have, like, the summer league and and such that they normally get to kind of prepare for that next step up. But um, I'm excited to see what, what the depth of this draft can do. And I think, you know, too, as, as I stand with the, the optimist point of view, the, the unexpected parts of, of the top three, of Edwards, of Ball, and, and of Wiesman, but for me, particularly Ball and, and Edwards is are two guys that could be very, very exciting players. Um, I think we the ceiling of, of a guy like Ball is could be very, very high. So <clears throat> it's easy to kind of look down on this class because they're, they're so unexpected, but it would be fun to see that, that unexpected talent flourish in, into something that we might not have all really seen. Um, with that being said, I'm going to give my top five picks, or at least what I see happening in the top five of the draft this year. The number one pick to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think they're going to keep up. I think they're going to go Anthony Edwards. You know, the talk around the number one pick is, has kind of been a revolving door of Edwards ball or, or being traded, but I, I am going to go with Edwards here. I've kind of stuck with Edwards since the draft lottery. I, I felt like he's just really the, the best fit. You know, I, I know Minnesota doesn't seem to be entirely in love with him, but I think I, I really do think he fits well here with with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. He's a strong player, a slasher, plays much bigger than six three. I couldn't believe when I looked up his height and saw that he was only six three. I I couldn't believe it because the guy plays like six six uh, and and just a ton of strength and getting to the rack. And I just think he fits really well with the Timberwolves. I, I think with his ability to attack the rack, uh, Towns can you know shoot the three. Lights kind of going to shooting the three. D'Lo likes to kind of shoot the three more. So having Edwards be more of a guy that's going to attack the paint. I, th- I think it goes well with those two guys and their offensive talents. Um, and it also, you know, puts the number one pick in a position where they're not saying, okay, Anthony Edwards, save us. Like, we're, we're in desperation, and we need you to kind of do everything. He's going to be helped by having two guys that are veterans in this league now. So I think it's going to be Edwards. And I, I see good things happening with Edwards in Minnesota. The number two, I'm going to go with James Wiseman. To the Golden State Warriors, you know, Golden State's really just in a perfect position here. Uh, they got a top pick for a team that still has the core of a, a team that made five straight NBA Finals. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that Golden State wants to trade this pick and kind of maximize the value, get get as much talent as possible for the pick, which I think is the right call. But it, it seems so far that they're not quite getting the offers they want, and, and I kind of think that's going to stay true. I think 
the the uncertainty and kind of the more pessimistic view of this draft is probably not getting the packages, the trade packages that that Golden State wants to to get to give up the number two pick. <clears throat> so I kind of see a D'Angelo, pardon me, I kind of see a D'Angelo Russell situation happening here, where they're gonna take Wiseman. And, and I don't really think he's the next Steph, and I don't think they see him as being the next kind of Steph cornerstone player for the franchise. But you, you get him in the lineup with, with Steph, with Clay, with Draymond, he'll be able to really show off. I mean, talk about a guy that has – talk about a traffic that has no pressure coming into a team and a lineup. I mean, James Wiseman is not going to be asked to do anything. So I think he'll really be able to flourish. That's going to help increase his trade value. And I think by next year he'll be gone and the Warriors will have traded him to get more pieces to make them more competitive right now. Um, but, you know, there, obviously there's still a great chance they will trade this pick draft night or, or you know, before or after the pick. Um, but but I, th- I think, I just think that people are too uncertain about this talent where they're going to have to kind of show off the new car before they, they trade it off and get at least what they want um, for the trade. And and I I can't say I blame them. They, I mean, they, I've, I've said this a lot about it. It's kind of playing with house money where they kind of can just be like, yeah, let's, Let's see what Weisman does, and <clears throat> heck, maybe he, maybe he becomes the next cornerstone. Um, they have the ability to to kind of do whatever they please here and feel comfortable with it. Number three, this is where I go, Lamella Ball, one spot after his brother, going to the franchise run by his heiress, Michael Jordan. One of the more intriguing draft picks in current memory, you know, maybe of all time, just because of we've talked about you know uncertainty of him with playing Australia, but. We've all known about Lamella Ball since he's about 15, thanks to you know his his brother's exciting play, but more more so because of the loudmouth absurdity of his father and just the the spotlight that Lavar Ball <clears throat> automatically threw on his entire family and all his sons. Um, and and Ball Lamelo, you know, has backed up a lot of the talk with his play. I think he's the guy in this draft that that most people agree has the highest ceiling. And I think Charlotte has yearned for a star. You know, there's no thinking about it. Charlotte's yearned for a star player for years, especially since their second iteration starting in 2004 with the Bobcats. They, they just haven't had, you know, name, name one player where you're like, oh, yeah, that, that was the big-time guy for, for, for Charlotte. We, we saw Kimba, uh, so maybe I'm, I might be doing a little bit of a disservice to Kimba, but, I, but even Kimba couldn't quite be the guy um, to pull, you know. And, and to be fair, it was a tough thing to kind of pull Charlotte out. But uh, maybe more so what I'm saying is is the name recognition of LaMelo Ball as a star is already as, as famous as maybe Kimba's was. You know, Kimba just wasn't like a big high-profile guy. As much as as successful as he was in, in UConn and, and on his run there, <clears throat> he wasn't, you know, the guy in front of a lot of magazines and such. Um, and I think Ball automatically gives you that. So you get the star in the sense of, of media-wise, and he could be... You know, the guy, and, and and if he if he becomes you know as good as they think, it, the combination for a winning team, it, it's there in Charlotte. You know, you you got the most beloved player of all time as your owner. You've got a GM who's got seven rings for his work in the front office in Los Angeles with Mitch Kupchick. You're in a state that, that certainly loves his basketball. You know, see Tobacco Road, like the besides Indiana, kind of the place that's known for basketball in North Carolina. So. It's an intriguing pick, especially if Ball can become, if his play can match the celebrity he's already at, it could be a new era in, in Charlotte. And uh, 
as I'm, you know, sticking on the theme of optimism. That's what that's what we'll go with as as ball goes to number four or number three. Pardon me. Moving on to number four, Tyrese Halliburton to the Chicago Bulls. I think this would be a bit of a surprise for some people. I don't think it would be a surprise, as I mentioned earlier. I think Halliburton could be the best player in this draft. If you watch Tyrese Halliburton shooting for him, you you would think the guy had no chance in the NBA, but just about every other part of his game is poetry in motion. Uh, the way the guy moves with the ball, finds players, finds pockets a little space. He, he's incredible. He really is. He's got great size, 6'5", huge wingspan, quickness to accompany it. He can attack the basket. As I said, he, he finds open teammates. He can run your offense. And while his shot might not look all that pretty, it does go in. You know, it's a, a similar to the Sean Marion kind of situation where you're like, hey, that doesn't look all that good. Oh, he, he made it. Okay. So I, I think there's times where Halliburton maybe forces some plays, but he was also an Iowa State team that, that wasn't one of the more talented <clears throat> versions of the Cyclones. So I think you throw him alongside Levine as combo guards makes the Bulls offense much more dangerous and exciting already. Uh, so Halliburton at number four. And number five to the Cleveland Cavaliers, I've got Onyike Nkongwu, another guy I've talked at length about, the 6'9 center from USC. Quick feet. He's going to be able to defend basically all five positions on the court. A great just feel for the game with uh, incredible defensive timing. Makes for a great shot blocker. Quick hands for steals. A little bit of an offense, limited offensive game at the moment. But, you know, the, the, like I said, the quick hands, the quickness of his feet, just the kind of feel of, of the positioning of where he needs to be is, is perfect when you got guards like Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and Kevin Porter in Cleveland. So I've got Anike Nkongwu kind of being the new big man down there in Cleveland. And uh, those are my top five picks. I got Anthony Edwards in one. And number two, James Wiseman. Number three, Lamella Ball. Number four, Tyrese Halliburton. And number five, Anike Nkongwu. So I've given my, my, my deuce credit to Mr. Dustin Johnson. I, I've given my apologies to, to the Fighting Irish. Let's get back to the NBA. As promised, this is the basketball-heavy episode. If it was going to be me talking for this long, it, it kind of had to be basketball. Uh, so, so let's bring it back, take a look ahead at what's going to kind of play out over the next month of, of this offseason after the 2020 draft. We've already seen offseason moves happen. We'll talk about some that have occurred, some that might occur. You know, this offseason was always kind of got going to be deemed uninter- uninteresting just like this this year's NBA draft it was it was going to be the the ugly duckling of of recent NBA years uh, 2 years ago of course LeBron was a free agent last year just about half the league seemed to be looking for a new team and next year of course the expected or hopefully expected Giannis sweepstakes that's kind of the storyline even with this offseason uh you know, most most of the NBA is hoping that will be the case next summer. That Giannis is a free agent. That that storyline could be stolen from us in in this this off season. Antetokounmpo, reigning two time MVP, going to be eligible to sign a super max contract when free agency begins this Friday in the NBA. It's a contract that would look something along the lines of five years and up to twenty or two hundred fifty million. Pardon me. He'll have Giannis will have about a month to decide whether he wants to to resign and, and do that contract. I think it's I think it's so. NBA free agency starts this Friday, the twentieth of November, and I believe he'll that his that decision will have to be made by December twenty first. Uh, otherwise, he'll have to wait until free agency opens after the season. 
personally, if I'm Giannis I, and I want to stay in Milwaukee, I would wait until next summer. I, I don't think there's really any real reason to rush the decision. You know, most of the time if, if in a decision like this, if you're thinking football-wise, you're like, yeah, sign the big contract. You don't want to risk it. But he's not a guy that's been injury-prone in, in that way. And, and I think, you know, it, it's going to be the biggest free agency decision since LeBron left Cleveland for Miami uh, next season, if, if he stays a free agent. Like, this, this is going to be one of the biggest ones. You've got, you've got the two-time MVP. We'll see what happens this year, too. But we expect Milwaukee to still be a great team. So he's going to be, you know, a commodity that, that we rarely see on the free agency market, which right there, from Giannis's perspective, makes you a bigger star. Like, you say whatever you want about the decision with LeBron, but but the whole I'm taking my talents to South Beach is, is now a part of the LeBron legacy. So giving yourself a, a free agency circus like Giannis would next summer, it adds to the star power of you as a player. It just does. So I, I from his perspective, there's, there's that part. Um, and also, there's no reason to rush it like from your teams. Like, let's see what Milwaukee can give you, and let's see what you know the other teams: Miami, Dallas, Golden State. Those are you know the kind of proverbial favorites for next summer to get him. Let's see what they've got waiting for you. So, even if you want to stay in Milwaukee, if I'm Giannis, I wait. But we'll see what gets done. We know Milwaukee wants to keep it more than anything, and, and I think. If you're betting wise, it sounds like Giannis is going to re-sign before the season. In Milwaukee's favor, and I would not blame Giannis for re-signing. They've been busy already. You know, they've been deep the last two years, the top seed in the East the last two years. But of course, two straight early exits, and kind of due to the role players not showing up. You know, a lot of depth, but not a lot of consistent depth. Giannis is an incredible player, but but we all know players need help. Like they they just do. There's no, there's no player that can do it by themselves. And, and even Middleton has kind of faltered in the playoffs as well. So I, they needed more prolific scoring. They needed more scores who could score more points and who could score more consistently. You know they they had a, a bunch of guys they could throw out there, but a lot of them just weren't producing when they needed them. So the first they made two trades now. The high pro, the high profile trade. Focused on the point guard position, I think something they desperately needed to address. Eric Bledsoe, I've been one of his biggest critics. Nothing but disappointing in Milwaukee since being traded by the Suns in 2017. Supposed to bring a a high motor, strong defense when he came over, but even his strengths never shone through while he was in Milwaukee. And that happening really made his weaknesses, i.e. lack of a jump shot, stand out more, you know? I, I liked what they did with Bledsoe. I liked what they thought they were getting as a player. But the guy just never performed. And after two and a half years, I, I think it was absolutely the right call to move on from him. Even more so, it, it was you know a, a market for point guards that were very good. The two big ones, Chris Paul, Drew Holiday. I think Milwaukee made the right call here in going for Drew Holiday instead. Uh, I think Drew Holiday still has, you know, the veteran experience. Not quite, you know, he's not a veteran in the same sense that Chris Paul, but a guy that's been in the league for many years. You get him for a cheaper contract. He's younger than Chris Paul. Offensive game, you know, I might lead Chris Paul a little bit, but but Drew Holiday can score. He can shoot, and I would right now take Drew Holiday as an on the ball defender over Chris Paul. I mean, crazy to say, probably, but 
nine NBA all-defensive teams for Chris Paul, but Drew Holiday has quietly become one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. He, he's been an absolute lockdown machine down in New Orleans. You know, as, as that franchise has kind of wasted Anthony Davis's talents, and, and we hope they don't do the same thing with Zion, they, they've kind of wasted his talents as well. He's a guy that's really flourished into an incredible player, so I think it, it's really the epitome of an upgrade from Eric Bledsoe. He has basically all the skills Bledsoe had, but more and, and, and better. So I think this is probably going to be the biggest move of the offseason. Um, and if you're Giannis, you have to you have to like what you see. I think I think Drew Holiday was was along with Chris Paul the biggest kind of trade bait out there. And the point guard position I think was the biggest position that Milwaukee needed to address. So I, I think from Giannis's perspective, you have to love right away them them going out and getting that. But this was not the only trade they made, you know. Uh, they sent Dante DiVincenzo, Ursan Ilyasova, and DJ Wilson to the Kings for Bogdan Bogdanovich and Justin James. Really, this trade for me kind of comes down to Bogdanovich for DiVincenzo and Ilyasova, which I, I think is a great value for Milwaukee. DiVincenzo, I, I named, him, named him my sixth man of the year, but his lack of size and defensive kind of ability was taken advantage of in the playoffs. Again, one of those scores for them that just was not consistent enough. Uh, and then just, you know... Was, couldn't get it done when they needed you, when you needed role players to put a bucket. It's like they, they got to do it, and, and he and he couldn't. Uh, and Ilyasova lost a little bit of a step, getting older. Not not quite the efficient scorer he used to be. I think Bogdanovich is kind of the best of these guys' qualities brought together. He really can score in bunches. He's a great shooter from three, six six. So he's got more size than Divincenzo, but he's a little more mobile than than Ilyasova. Uh, so you know it. I think both these moves are great. And I think both these moves really from Milwaukee's perspective, the question for them isn't really, does this roster and do these moves win us the title in 2021? The question is, can we convince Giannis to stay in Milwaukee? Like, do these moves make us appealing enough for Giannis to, to be like, yeah, I'm here. I think they have, like I said, from Giannis's perspective, I just wouldn't sign because there's really no reason to, but I think they've done the, done the moves to say, Hey, we're, we're, we are committed to moving this team around. I mean, that, that was the top seed in the last two years. And and they showed they couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And the management said, all right, then we, we're not we're not going to run this off again. We're not going to see, oh, we're so close. Maybe it'll work. No, it clearly didn't work. Boom, get them out, get new talent in. So I think you, you have to commend the front office for what they've done. And, and I think they have shown Giannis that they're committed to making them a winner. Um, and, and I expect Giannis to resign. Even if he doesn't resign... Before this season, I think he's going to stay in Milwaukee. You know, he, he's, I, I think he loves Milwaukee. He loves the people around him. Kind of the pull of the, of the national media, of the New York's LA, it doesn't have the same effect on a guy who didn't grow up under its influence. Um, so I, I think he's going to stay in Milwaukee, and I commend the moves to the front office. Team-wise, am I ready to call Milwaukee the favorites in the East? No, I'm not. Um, I've earned the number one seed the last two years, and I do think they've become better. But we've seen what they can do, or we've seen what they've done in the playoffs. So uh, there's still the product on, on the court that we have to see, uh, and I think they're heading in the right direction. But um, I, I'm not. The front office did their job in the sense of, hey, Giannis, please stay. But it it didn't also accomplish the job of automatically making Milwaukee fixing all the problems that they had. I think I think there are still issues there, and I think one of those issues still is Chris Middleton. I think he's a guy that that this year really needs to to shut up or or put up. You know, we we've seen him in the big times for Milwaukee just absolutely falter. So, Milwaukee, well done. 
I think it'll keep Giannis. But the team, not the best in the East. Not quite yet. So I know I promised mostly <clears throat> NBA talk here, but I do have to talk Masters after this weekend. It was finally Dustin Johnson's weekend at Augusta as he earned his first green jacket with the wire-to-wire 20-under win. The first wire-to-wire win at the Masters since Jordan Spieth in 2015, although Jordan did do it with no ties. Uh, but even though DJ was tired after, tied after round one and was tied with four players at the end of round two, he took a four-stroke lead into Sunday and padded that by one more to beat Im Sung Jae and Cameron Smith by five strokes and take home that coveted green jacket. You know, it was the best scoring first round in Masters history. We talked about that. Uh, and perhaps it makes sense that, that the champion would break the previous best score. Johnson's 268 or 20-ender beat Spieth's 2015 and Tiger Woods' 1997 scores of 18-under. So a new all-time record at Augusta for Dustin Johnson, as well as getting his first win there. You know, it's a weekend that I think really it should celebrate DJ. We always, especially Masters-wise, we, we like to make these uh, narratives about Tiger Woods, and, and it, sometimes it's hard not to, but Dustin Johnson's been the number one number one ranked golfer for most of the last few years, uh, but only has one major win, the 2016 U.S. Open win, which was before he was even, you know, the number one guy. Second place finishes at every major, including the PGA Championship, the last two years. But now, you know, he, he took the lead into Sunday. Four times he'd done that before. He had a lead at a major going into Sunday, and four times he had collapsed. This time, he takes it, takes the four-stroke lead, as I said, adds one stroke to that, and sets a new record down in Augusta, which is, you know, a long a tournament that's been there for a long, long time. So I think it's just a weekend that really should celebrate him, and I think we we could start seeing him reel off a little more, a few more Masters. Certainly, that Sunday kind of collapse had hung over his hand, his head for so many years. So seeing him be able to to go into Sunday and you know with the lead and hold on to it, uh, probably you know the the lack of fans, I'm sure sure was was a help there. I would assume it was, but uh, sometimes you just need to get that monkey off your back, even fans there or not. Um, we'll see, we'll see if that is the case, but it was nice to see, you know, fans or not, it was nice to see DJ be able to do that. And I think the win really does truly signify him as the best golfer in the world. There's, you know, Kepka one of few majors, um, and, and Shambo's always been the talk about Rory. There's a lot of guys that always get talked about, but I, but I think Dustin, the only thing that's held back from people being, saying he is without a doubt, the, the top golfer is the results at the majors, um, and 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 I'm not saying he's gonna win the next four, but I think this one is a step for him where where we're gonna see him win a few more. And I think he I think he is really you know gonna distinguish himself as the next as the best golfer in the world. Um, and you know this tournament it's got me excited for the Masters in April. As I said, scoring was just so high throughout the tournament. There were you know Deshambeau disappointed a little bit. Mickelson, Day, Zach Johnson weren't at, weren't at their best. It wasn't, you know, a weekend where everybody shot 10 under. But for the most part, everyone really kind of seemed to show out in, in Georgia this weekend. Justin Thomas was 12 under. Rory, 11. Brooks, 10 under. Even unexpected players there at the top of the leaderboard. Dylan Fratelli, 11 under. And, of course, the aforementioned 15 unders by Cameron Smith and M. Sung Jae. 
Uh, and, and honestly, even Tiger played well. His, he finished one under, but that score was, you know, pretty tainted by the, the 10 shot at, at the deadly hole of 12. So, you know, not giving him a total pass, but you, you take that 10 away and Tiger really, really was playing good golf in Augusta this weekend. So only five months of, of between their time between the next time these players will be back on these fairways and greens. So I, I think there's a good chance that the, the high scoring competitive play is going to be the case again. Um, and we'll see if, you know, especially for, for DJ, if he can kind of keep that going because he was sitting at the top of the leaderboard every day. So, you know, five months is a long time, but, but for a major, especially a major that it's normally, it's 12 months every single time. It, it, it's a much shorter time span. And we'll see if that makes the case for, for all the players and specifically DJ. Um, but you know, whatever the case is and particularly like with a performance with DJ, like as we make the storyline with him too, it would normally we do the storyline of like, all right, now will DJ start to dominate the sport? And and I think it's, it's just about time that we, we realized that the dominance of Tiger Woods was, was a special occurrence. It's, it wasn't like a cyclical thing that happens in golf or, or even sports all the time. You know, it, it, we're not guaranteed these, these incredible players that are heads above everybody else, no matter what their opponents may try. Uh, it's, it's something that like we really are lucky to see when, when we see players that are, that are that talented. Um, personally, I kind of prefer how the game is now. I think there's, you know, there's the favorites. Deshembo was, was a big favorite, but, uh, didn't dominate you know he, he was kind of like tiger was the, the favorite for so many times during those years and he would come in and win it was you know the story was written before before we had a chance for it to be told you know and i think there's so many good golfers now that that i enjoy the variety of, of seeing so many different guys be able to win because there's just so much talent on the tour um i mean i loved i loved the years of tiger and watching tiger dominate but I think we need to let that story be be its own and and heck enjoy Tiger now. We got we got Tiger still playing. He doesn't play all the time, but he's still there. We we've guys guys like Kupka, Rory, young guys like Colin Morikawa. So I, I think that it's just such a deep PGA field right now, and and instead of yearning for a time of of one person dominating, I think we we need to enjoy just the amount of skill that that's on on the tour. But we'll see what happens at the next Masters. As I said, only five months away. We'll probably already have Jim Nance commercials with it by next week, uh, which I, I really don't complain about. They're, they're kind of calming, so that's cool with me. Um, the other one more, you know, sport I have to stop at before I get back to, to All-NBA. Jan and I are going to talk more college football later this week, but I, I have to apologize to Notre Dame, to the, to the Irish, after two weeks of proving me wrong, quite frankly. Tested early against Boston College, but, you know, they immediately showed resolve. They, they, that was kind of the test that I expected. You know, a turnover here, Boston College takes the early lead, and, and Notre Dame responded like a top team needs to respond. And then they put the idea of an upset out extremely early. Running game not as effective as normal, but Ian Book got 85 yards on the ground and had one of his best games of the year with 283 yards and three touchdowns. And really with this Notre Dame team, it's the defense that's been the calling card. They gave up 31 points, but they still held – Quarterback Phil Jerkovic, Jerkovic to under 50% passing, forced two turnovers to, to cover up a three fumbles Notre Dame had themselves. Um, so I, I think this team is, is legit. I really do. Um, and I'm probably late to the party for saying that, but those are the kind of wins that are uh, are, are tough to get. After you get your, your big, big win, you go on the road, 
Jerkovich uh, for Boston College. I mean, that quarterback, he he was competing for Ian Book for the Notre Dame starting quarterback job. So, you know, there, there's a storyline there on the opposing team. It was it was really the perfect storm for an upset, and, and Notre Dame was tested with it. It, it hit them in the mouth, and, and they responded, uh, and it was an, it was an impressive response. I, I, I'm not saying – I don't think they're going to win the national title, but I think they're a legitimate college football playoff team, and I, and I don't see another – 30 to three showing like they had the last time they were there against Clemson. I think, I think Notre Dame is going to be more competitive no matter who they go up against uh, in the college football playoff. But I, I had to give my due credit to Notre Dame as they've, they've really showed me up the last two days or last two weeks. They made, made me eat crow. So well done fighting Irish um, big game this weekend against North Carolina. I personally think the Irish will roll, but like I said, Jan and all Jan and I will get a little more into college football later on this week. And the question of, of, you know, who the best team in the East is, 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 it's a tough one right now. I mean, you have Brad Stevens and the Celtics, a young team that's coming into their prime with, honestly, a vast amount of playoff experience now. The Sixers return two of the most dynamic players in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and kind of giving the process a little bit of a shakeup with the hiring of Doc Rivers. Uh, and then you got the Heat, you know, expected to return the majority of a team that made a surprise run to the NBA Finals. How much do we really expect them to be at the top of the East next year? You know, there's a lot of questions. Um, I think all these teams have, have some questions to the legitimate legitimacy of their claim as the best in the East. But no Eastern Conference team, I think, is more uncertain than the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and, and and mostly just because Kevin Durant hasn't played and Kyrie, Kyrie Irving only played 20 games last season. And now there's a chance that a, a third superstar could join the fray. You know, the last time James Harden played a game with Kevin Durant, they just lost the 2012 NBA Finals to LeBron and the Miami Heat. Now it appears that Harden is ready to reunite and form their own super team in our beautiful bureau, borough here in Brooklyn. Now I expect, I mean, I love the Harden rumors, and and I have to talk about them as, as someone that's joining the Nets bandwagon. But I expect this to happen about as much as I thought Lionel Messi would leave Barcelona, so... I don't expect it to happen, but it, it, it's just too fun not to talk about it and, and, and to dream about an offense with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Um, I, I think for that offense to work, first off, I think James Harden would have to abandon how he's played the last few years in Houston, but I'm confident in, in James Harden as a basketball player and an offensive basketball player especially that, that he can change up how he plays and, and he can still impact the game. <clears throat> I do. I mean, he's someone that, you know, wants to have the ball in his hand, but I think he can, he's got the ability to, to change up the game a little bit and be able to work with players more so than he has been doing in Houston, where it's really been a lot of, all right, you got you four stand, get ready for three pointers. And, and James is going to go do his thing. Um, I think the worry for, you know, the Nets here, you'll, you, I think you'd have to lose a lot of good depth. I'm not sure you can get Harden and hold on to Levert, Dinwiddie, and Allen. I mean, I, I think all three of them would probably have to go. Even keeping one of them in a train for Harden, I think, would be a huge win for Brooklyn. And those three really, you know, they, they represent such a strong supporting cast. Uh, we saw what Levert can do uh, down in the bubble when, when he was asked to lead the team. We've seen Dinwiddie do that. And Jared Allen's just such such an impact on, on the defensive side of the ball and, and getting better offensively. And anytime you bring players together. I mean, we're still asking the questions about how the personalities and, and playing styles of, of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to work together, let alone throwing in the mix a guy like James Harden, who's also a very strong personality like like these two, like, like Irving and Durant. 
So lots of questions, of course. But but I think if I'm Brooklyn, I think if you have the ability to to add James Harden to a combination of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I think you have to do it because that's just that's just too much talent to say no to. And of course, th- there would be the questions then of how do you fill out the remaining roster? How would they play together? You know, lots and lots of questions. But I think it's worth the risk because with those three players, it, it's just such a wealth of talent, such a wealth of offensive skill that it's hard to believe that they wouldn't be able to figure it out uh, or you know, at least get close to figuring it out. So <clears throat> if I'm Brooklyn, I- I'm making it happen if I can. But, but mostly I don't think it happens because I don't think Houston's going to want to budge. You know, James Harden's owed a lot of money with two more years on his contract, so the Rockets really have the leverage here, especially with those those two years. Perhaps a bad year in H-Town will, you know, add to the pressure and maybe free up Harden for some more legitimate, tr- legitimate trades. But I don't think the new GM, you know, Daryl Morey's gone, new GM Raphael Stone, I, I highly doubt in his first year there, not even being there for half a year yet, and the tumultuous like things that are going on with the pan- pandemic, I just don't see him trading away their their biggest asset and the, their biggest star for the last decade in James Harden. So I think it's a pipe dream right now for Brooklyn. I'd love to see it. <clears throat> It'd be such an exciting just offensive team to watch, but I I, I don't imagine it's going to happen. I do think it's likely that Mr. Stone and the Rockets will be making a big trade soon, though. Um, I, the, the Westbrook-Harden experiment lasted as long as I think anyone really could expect. They're just such, such ball-dominant players. It, it was just never really going to quite fit. Uh, and, and I don't think they were going to fit in D'Antoni's offense that he had kind of created there in Houston either. It, it just wasn't... Their styles and the style of play, it, it was trying to fit a puzzle piece into a spot that didn't fit, uh, particularly in, in trying to like, okay, here, we'll take out Chris Paul, and then you do what Chris Paul did, Russell Westbrook, but also this. And that's that's not how basketball teams and in constructing teams works. It's not as easy as just plugging, plugging guys here and there and, and saying, well, you're more talented or you are a little better at doing this, so we'll add you, and automatically it's an improvement. No, it's, it's that's not the way. That it, that it goes, um, particularly for these two guys, because at, while I do think Harden can, can <clears throat> change up his style if he went to Brooklyn, he is a guy that, especially down in Houston, was was supposed to have the ball a lot. Russell's a guy that wants to have the ball a lot. So, you know, there's talk about Charlotte attempting to get Russell, uh, you know, for him to kind of be the star <clears throat> that, you know, they would yearn for a la LaMelo Ball in the draft. Um, but uh, clearly the East Coast is getting to me because – I think the Knicks are the best answer here. First off, I mentioned it, Russ. He's a tough player to play with. He needs the ball in his hands. He wants players to be as engaged, as fired up as he is constantly. And he also has <clears throat> one of those tough tough contracts we've t- talked about before. Three seasons, $133 million. The Knicks don't have any stars for Rush to clash with. I mean, it, it, the show is his. Plenty of cap space to soak up that contract. He's also, if Russ comes, he's one of the most exciting players in the league and will probably make New York competitive in the weak Eastern Conference. Like, they're not going to be top four seed, but they can probably fight for a playoff spot if you add Russell Westbrook to that team, just because that's the the state of the East. You know, long-term, I don't think it's the right move for the Knicks, but when have the Knicks ever thought, like, logically long-term? So really, this is the perfect move for them because they can kind of pretend they care about winning by trading for Russell Westbrook. But it's not going to actually make them a winner while also probably making basketball in, in Madison Square Garden more enjoyable again. So <clears throat> I don't know exactly where Russell Westbrook's going to go, but I, but I think the Knicks, 
really for him and the team, it, it's 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 a happier marriage than one might expect. Um, of course, from from his perspective, I assume he wants to win, and that is normally missing for the New York Knicks. But uh, all other kind of intents and purposes, it, it it's it really is somewhat of a happy marriage. But we'll see what happens. I, I do expect Russell to grow go whether it'll be New York or or Charlotte or, or someone else. Certainly, even though he is a, a difficult fit, he's, he's a player that makes such an impact on the game. His ability to score, pass the ball, rebound, defend, just the energy he brings to a team. He, he, he When I say Russell Westbrook's difficult to play with, it, it doesn't mean he's uh, not an addition to a team. He, he's just someone that you do, I think, sometimes have to kind of make adjustments for. Uh, it, it, you can, I think the same thing could be said about LeBron James. So... I, I, I see Rus- Russell going. I think James will probably still be in Houston for this year. Um, but we'll see. And we'll see how much James kind of pushes out. Um, and we'll see what teams really want to take a chance on, on one of these guys, uh, especially money-wise. But uh, there has been, you know, we've talked about trades that have happened, trades that might happen. There has been another one more trade that actually did occur. The veteran point guard mentioned him a couple times throughout the the show. Chris Paul getting sent to the desert. He's joining the Phoenix Suns. Bit of an odd move for Chris Paul, I I think, as most people kind of look at it from the outside looking in. You you would expect such a veteran, a guy that, you know, at this age, who wants to win, you know? You you would think he would want to join a team like the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks, uh, a team that is more right on the cusp and... um, you know, the Suns were the best team down in Disney World. They've got a lot of great young players. I think Devin Booker is poised for kind of a true breakthrough season to become a superstar. We kind of saw Donovan Mitchell and, and, and Jamal Murray really kind of come into their own and make a name for themselves in the NBA a little more. This last playoffs, I think Booker's almost there. I mean, he had that amazing buzzer beater over <clears throat> Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George and the Clippers, which certainly caught everyone's attention. But I think there, there's... The opportunities for the, there for him to, to really become a star in this league, but yeah, it's it, it's a surprise by Chris Paul, but I don't I don't hate the move. I I think I think he fits well with Devin Booker. Um, I think he sees a team that is on the rise, and I think Chris Paul too looks at his. I I don't think Chris Paul sees the end of his road being that soon. Um, but after being so close with Houston throughout his career, you know, having no luck in New Orleans, and and then last year kind of being stuck with a team that. Nobody expected them. I mean, they were supposed to be in the lottery last year, and he took them to the four seed. Like Chris Paul, they they needed to get him out of there because the guy's winning so much. And so, you know, we saw the impact he, he had on, on OKC. If he can have the same thing on the Suns, it'll certainly position them to challenge more. And, and I think they certainly look like a playoff team now. But are they a threat in the West? I, I still don't see it. I think there needs to be improvements from DeAndre Ayton, from Mikael Mikhail Bridges, just from that supporting cast in general, but um, they've got a lot of pieces, and and I think a lot of young pieces where you know maybe even just the Chris Paul tutelage can impact where this team goes further down the line. Um, but big trades, we'll, we'll see if any big more big names go. We kind of we expected Chris Paul to go. Drew Holiday was one that was possibly, probably. So, so the big kind of the big cards have fallen so far, uh, and the question now becomes: Does Giannis resign? And if he doesn't, 
the other big question is what happens in Houston, you know? So those, those are kind of the two just teams getting built right now, questions that, that will that need to be answered, and will determine how the NBA looks and, and the landscape for this season, not only coming up, but the foreseeable future. I mean, if, if Giannis is staying in Milwaukee and, and James Harden gets, you know, into a marriage with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I, the East is going to look, you know, it's Milwaukee and Brooklyn for the foreseeable future. If, you know, that doesn't happen, if Giannis decides to wait and go out west or down to South Beach, it's a lot, a lot of big questions to be answered, already some exciting moves, uh, and of course, just with, with the draft and free agency starting on Friday, I think I think we'll see some more trades of just kind of role players. We've seen Dennis Schroeder and Danny Green swap out from OKC to the Lakers, um, so, I, so I don't think the movement is done. I think teams will be aggressive trading this year. Um, just because of, of the lack of money that came in with the season. But uh, it should be an exciting NBA season. Like we said, December 22nd, we get Christmas Day basketball, which I'm so excited about. Looking forward to to the young guys, to, to the new teams, and, and you know, as a, as a Nets bandwagon fan, uh, extremely excited to kind of see what, what Durant and Kyrie can do together. But thank you guys so much for, for joining me. We are down to the cool down. I still got to do a, a cool down section. I can't completely abandon our you know our little dance here so i will give you guys a historical fact today in 1928 mickey and minnie mouse made their film debut in steamboat willie uh, and it was also one of the first cartoons with synchronized sound and it start not only of, of course the great mouse's legacy on america but walt disney's rise as an am- animator filmmaker creator Really is such a fun old cartoon. It's on Disney Plus now, along with they've got like several older kind of Mickey Mouse cartoons, which I definitely re- recommend checking out. They they really are enjoyable to to view and and kind of see it from that that older lens. Um, but yeah, Steamboat Willie, 1928, Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse making their debut on film. Uh, and you know, throughout Halloween, we talked about great horror films, and, and I guarantee we're, we're gonna do gonna be doing the same during the Christmas season. But Thanksgiving's not, it's not a holiday with a tremendous amount of movies. But I, it, I've found it does have a lot of great TV episodes. So I, I've begun the journey of figuring out the greatest Thanksgiving episodes that like need to be watched for every Thanksgiving season. It's uh, If you have any recommendations or favorites, please let me know because it is a bit of a daunting task. I feel like when I first was like, I, you know, I should figure out the best, make a list of the best Thanksgiving, I didn't realize really how, yeah, like every show has... Thanksgiving happens every year, Matt. So that was a wrote a check I wasn't ready to cash. But yes, please please let me know as I embark on on finding the truly great Thanksgiving episodes. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. This really was a lot of fun just talking basketball. Appreciate you guys letting me just go off. Appreciate Jan letting me do the podcast. Uh, just kind of solo and, and trying something out. I think we always want to kind of keep exploring and trying new things with this thing. So we appreciate you guys for sticking with us through it all. As always, stay safe, wear a mask, please take care of yourself. It's a stressful-ass time, uh, and thank you for listening. Cheers, y'all.